Witness history at Roland Garros, where old rivalries meet new talent on the clay battleground. Tennis Channel Plus is your place to watch. Stream every court from your phone or smart TV live in HD. Experience three weeks of unparalleled access as the world's top players in tennis face off to see if the veterans maintain their dominance or if a fresh face rises to challenge them. Daily live coverage begins Monday, May 20th. Stream it now with Tennis Channel Plus to be there when it happens. Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Monday, November 16th, the second day of the ATP Finals, now officially in the books. We saw Novak Djokovic and Daniil Medvedev start their campaigns with two comprehensive victories, matches we, of course, are going to break down on today's show. We'll also play a little bit of a game of Guess the Lines to preview tomorrow's matches, and joining me to do just that, you know know him as the voice of the Monday match analysis. You may also know his smiling face from all the things he does with the Syracuse Athletic Department. I know him as my rival in terms of the best eyebrows in the tennis industry. Gil Gross. Gil, welcome back to the show. How are you doing on this Monday night? Grusky, I'm always on call. It doesn't matter. (laughs) Two minutes notice, 30 seconds. I'll be here whenever you need me. Great to be on. We should say before... I appreciate you saying that. I will add, I texted Gil probably, what now, 45 minutes ago, and I was like, hey, on a scale of one to, you know, one I'm willing to do an impromptu podcast to, I'm a really good boyfriend and I don't have that sort of free time. How available are you? You with the brilliant answer, I asked my girlfriend. She said, go for it. An impromptu podcast, that sounds great. That sounds like the type of relationship you want to be in. So, of course, (laughs) shout out to the extended Steve Weissman family. As always, they are just a class act, but it is great to have you on the show. I know you have been talking a lot about uh, these World Tour Finals on your own Monday Match Analysis. I will always recommend that to all of our listeners. Be sure to go check that out as well as everything you are doing, but just even before we get into these matches, first two days in the books, how are you feeling through those two? Pretty good. I mean, uh, we haven't had our our classic match yet, right? That That's for sure. Mm-hmm. But, uh, there have been some intriguing storylines. I do wish uh, I wish Rublev brought a better level uh, in the Nadal match because I, I did have higher hopes for that. Um, I guess Medvedev's Zverev also got a little bit ugly. <laughs> Schwarzman Djokovic. I mean, so you know what? I think the best tennis is yet to come. Mm-hmm. I think that's a fair assessment. I would also add, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm just so excited to uh, hear your voice. And I get to see your smiling face over Skype as well. But I would say the biggest takeaway for me has been the conditions in London this week. This ball seems to be bouncing a little bit higher than normal. These courts do seem to be playing a little bit slower. And obviously, the players who benefit that the most, Rafael Nadal, who, as you mentioned, made it look fairly routine in a win over the guy I name as my ATP Player of the Year in Andre Rublev. I think for Dominic Team, uh, it was the same deal. The way he was able to attack with his forehand, it's because that ball was right in his strike zone against Tsitsipas. And certainly, it doesn't really matter the conditions. Novak Djokovic always going to look good. But that was my takeaway. Have you noticed that? You know, it's funny. I didn't notice that until 
the Zverev Medvedev match, and then I felt mm-hmm. like I saw that contrast because I had just watched them play in Paris, and I felt like Zverev was hitting every shot off of his shoelaces, and I didn't think that was the case this time. It didn't matter. There were other problems uh, for Alexander, but I did notice that the that Medvedev's ball in particular was not staying as low and skidding um, along the court surface. Yeah, I'm trying not to say his name anymore. I'm just going to refer to him as Lord Voldemort, I think, because <laughs> it's just it, it's unbelievable. I get it. We talked about this. Sh- yeah, shameless plug here. We did a show, yeah. our debut show on the Tennis One app today, and we talked about it with Luke Jensen. And, you know, as a player, you know, he talked about it. This just looms over the entire event. And it's the fact that there is no player union. That's a topic we've talked about before. The fact that there is no collective bargaining agreement where it legislates exactly how this process would play out and that exists in other sports and it doesn't in this one and you know today felt like the first time where he just felt a little bit overwhelmed on the court everything felt a little bit rushed a little bit hurried it just he didn't sink his teeth into the match the way he was so good at doing in Cologne and again this is not a an excuse party for Alex Vera of everything he's going through off the court he has coming to him but it's clear now I'm sure after two weeks of it uh, continuously that it's starting to add up. And I do think today was the first day it might have creeped into his performance. Well, I do agree. He got negative really fast, and I thought that mm-hmm. he didn't have that that work rate throughout the entirety of the match. I thought it kind of fell off a little bit, and we saw some either some tired footwork or some lazy footwork. Ultimately, uh, you know, it's hard to say if it's about the off-court stuff or not because he had just lost to Daniil. His second serve looked horrible. Uh, for the first time in a while, by the way, because it, it was really looking fine for uh, for a very long time here. And now it's kind of uh, it's a relapse. And then there was a stretch where he could have possibly gotten back into the match and he wasn't getting Medvedev serve back at all. So I think all those things combined maybe could have just really sunk Zverev mentally or it could have been. You know, the off-court stuff, maybe he just didn't have as much fight in him because of that. But, you know, who knows? It's hard to say. Yeah, and no, it's not to belittle, by the way, Daniil Medvedev's performance. We're going to break down the match in even further depth in a little bit. I just mean, you know, when you talk about the second serve confidence issues, that is so often a mental problem, right? And I think that you're starting to see that creep in. And again, all this started out, I don't think he should be playing. And I think it's detrimental to his performance on court. I think it's detrimental to the event. And obviously what he's been accused of, you read Alia Sharipova's uh, account, it's impossible to feel anything but sympathy for her to not be outraged on her behalf and it's just I mean you almost have to start every show with this topic and this again we don't get to talk about the tennis the first five minutes we're talking about this because he was on court and you know it's the same question in each and every press conference and I found it interesting that a lot of these other players it's not that maybe they have been asked about it and the clips just aren't going around but we haven't heard reporters press them Uh, you know we heard Andy Murray talk about it with Guy Monfils, but no player actively playing the event has talked about it and I think that's a little interesting thing to note but of 
course, what's been very interesting to note, the tennis we've seen on court. And so let's talk a little bit about those matches. Of course, the reason we're able to do that day in, day out here at Crack Records is because of the support we get not only from our incredible listeners, not only from our Patreon family, but of course, from our sponsors at Midwest Sports and Aero Bar. We like to say it here. It's a lifestyle. We want to look good. We want to feel good so that we play good. As Gil can see on the Skype, I am always looking good and feeling good. That's why I play well when I go out on the court. I can say it is a big thanks to my friends at Midwest Sports and Aero Bar as well. You go to MidwestSports.com. You're going to find anything you need from a tennis standpoint. All of the best brands, all of the best equipment, all in one location, MidwestSports.com. You use our promo code CR15. You'll get 15% off your order. Free two-day shipping on all orders exceeding $75. Best of all, that free can of Wilson Extra Duty Tennis Balls. Gil, what sort of, are you the sort of guy who tightens your racket tension when you go from outdoors to indoors? Because obviously a lot of that are doing that. Uh, a lot of us are doing that right now if we're able to play tennis. You know, I, I got to say, I, maybe maybe I should be thinking about that, but no. Um, <laughs> good idea. It's fair. I've seen that forehand. No, I've seen the forehand. I don't know if you're there yet. But anyways, as you start to progress in your game, or maybe you're just looking for a new racket, a new string, you can trust our friends at Midwest Sports to lead you in the right direction. So go, go to MidwestSports.com when we're done. Go ch- check it out. Use our promo code CR15 to let them know that we sent you there as well. And of course, to make sure you're, you know, that's going to make you look good. Now, how do you feel good? That's where our friends at Aerobar come in. The only tennis-specific energy bar in the business. More potassium than a banana. Delicious cinnamon honey oat and chocolate chip flavors and of course best of all comes with the podcast our getting to the point episodes where we focus on the importance of nutrition and fitness in the modern game go to aerobar.com use the promo code cracked 15 look good feel good play good midwest sports aerobar cracked rackets all right with that in mind let's talk some tennis and we'll just go chronologically i don't think we have to spend too long on the djokovic schwartzman match but let's start our conversation there novak djokovic awfully impressive in his six 3-6-2 victory over Diego Schwartzman today, of course, for Novak Djokovic. This is off of a performance in Paris that was subpar to be kind, it, and it just was not, you know, he did not look his best, or did I say Paris? Was it Sophia? At this point, they're all blending together. I think it was Paris, right? Sophia. Am I crazy no, here? Sophia. Was, no, it was Sophia, yeah, when he lost to Sinego. I know who he played. That part I remember. <laughs> uh, but anyways, that loss to Lorenzo Sinego, his heart clearly wasn't in that match, and, you know, he said as much after it in the post-match press conference today, it was all systems go. Novak Djokovic, just from start to finish, uh, in every one of Diego Schwartzman's game, he looked awfully good on sir, at serve uh, on his own serve, excuse me, as well in this match for Djokovic. He makes 64% of the first serves, wins 77% of those first serve points, 65% of the second serve points. It was just the exact sort of start you wanted to see from Novak Djokovic, right, Gil? Oh, yeah. I mean, now I've been pretty adamant that the Novak that went, what was it, 20-0, 21-0 before uh, Indian Wells, something like that, that Novak Djokovic uh, has not been the same player, not quite, since coming back from the ATP pause. I think that's been clear. Even though he's won two titles, he's still great. We know that. He just hasn't been quite you the see same. this. You see this smile on my face. I talk enough. Please finish your point. I'm ready, though, to, to come back. Okay. Okay. Um, this was some of the best tennis I've seen from Novak since coming back. Maybe the best, but I can't go there because it, it's just we know that Schwartzman, 
that he can handle Schwartzman. So I'm not willing to go that far. But I thought that this was as good as he's looked uh, really in, in quite a while. Look, for Novak Djokovic, he was undefeated to start the season. So, of course, the bar for him coming back to the restart, uh, incredibly high. But let's remember, he ripped off, what was it, uh, 10 more matches in a row or 11 matches in a row to start off in New York. He wins Cincinnati. He's in the quarterfinals of the U.S. Open before, obviously, uh, or round of 16, excuse me, before things go awry for him. And you look at the losses he suffered. I mean, his only loss outside of that Carreno Busta has been, uh, and the Senego match has been to Rafa in that Roland Garros final. And I mean, that's a loss in Rafa's house. It could be written off. I think he's looked fine. And I just think today was a reminder of what a motivated Novak Djokovic is. I think that's been the biggest thing for him uh, day in, day out in each of these matches is does he want to come out and just dominate from start to finish? And I know that's a little bit superficial, but at this point for Novak Djokovic, we know what his game looks like. We know what he's capable of doing. It's just how locked in is he? I think this was the first match maybe since, I don't know, the first two sets of that Tsitsipas semifinal where he really looked locked in from the start. I would agree with that. Now, I, I think just to, to go back, I think he won Western, the Western and Southern Open. He won it ugly. He didn't have his best tennis yeah, for long periods of time throughout a lot of matches. And then Rome really just reminded me of his week. In, in New York pre-U.S. Open, I thought they were similar tournaments where Djokovic, the the mental giant he is, uh, really just, he won every match, but he didn't always play his best. And I felt like this was just a complete performance where Djokovic, dominant uh, with the second serve, knowing exactly uh, what he wants to do with that shot, finding the perfect amount of aggression. I thought he hit triple digits on most of his second serves. I don't have mm-hmm. uh, have the exact average, but... Uh, it's that shot was really on point. And then on the other side of things, he was smoking Diego's second serve, really taking advantage of it. High margin aggression on these second serve returns. And I think Diego, he was not, he was not good. I can get the stat. He was seven for 20. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I mean, to your point, Djokovic, 103-mile-per-hour second serve average. When he's hitting it like that, you know he's feeling good on the serve. And just to quickly look at the numbers of this match, there are 99 total points played against Diego Schwartzman in 99 points to make only 14 unforced errors. You're doing your job. And you look at the spread of the rallies in this match, Djokovic, plus 5 on rallies under 5 shots, plus 8 on rallies 5 to 9 shots, and then plus 6 on rallies over 9 shots. He showed the patience. He showed the willingness to play plus one tennis when it was called for. He, you know, played with angles. He threw in the drop shot. He did all of his Djokovic things, but there was never the mental lapse. There was never the two double faults and, and an unforced error, and now I'm down love 40. And yeah, I can dig my way out of this game, but just from start to finish, he was locked in. And this is one of my takes I stand by passionately. I'm always happy to plug a tweet of mine. I swear to God, Gil, if you switch Diego Schwartzman and Andre Rublev, this tournament is better for everyone. It just is because now Rublev gets to play the grinders. He has time on his hand. His lack of elite athleticism isn't exposed. And then Schwartzman's like, oh, perfect. I get to just use your power and then use my speed. And now my speed becomes a weapon. He's in heaven. And so if I could do anything to this World Tour Finals, it would be to switch those two's group. Interesting. Um, I actually think that Rublev... I think that Rublev 
has a good chance at maybe rushing team and and Tsitsipas in a way where mm-hmm. you know you really can't rush Medvedev, you can't rush Zverev or Djokovic. They all love pace. So I actually look at it a little bit differently where I and I do see your point where where Rublev will have time to rip. It's just will he get the payoff for ripping or is Novak going to do um credit credit Matt Willis for this but his Pikachu and take the pace and be like thank you very much I will use this against you and just you know d- do his thing on on the counter striking okay that's really interesting though because I haven't thought of it your way yeah I mean look you can't do that like that's not a thing it's not like it's ever going to happen I'm just saying outside of what was the adjustment having an app where we can find all of these stats where we don't have to cherry pick from our friend Vonch of course and we are, <laughs> appreciate him posting these stats but uh, outside of just having an app where you could find things like winners average second serve speed net points all of the various metrics that make covering tennis so much easier to do um, my second request I suppose actually my second request would be to read Rename the groups like Tokyo 1970, London 2020. Come on. We can be more creative than that. Like, I just, like, let's call it straight up group backhand, group forehand. Like, I would have laughed. Oh, yeah. I think everyone would have laughed. Like, it would have been the gift that kept on giving. We just could have been more creative. Or even if you want to sell out, you want to call this the Reese's backhand group or like the, I, I, I'm happy to sell it to a sponsor. Just more creativity. But then the third thing would be switching group Levin Schwartzman. Well, I embarrassed myself on Twitter today because I I called group uh, Tokyo. I called them group London, and it was a whole mess. <laughs> if if they called them forehand and backhand, I can guarantee you, I would not have confused them. I it's simple. It's straight to the point. It's like dropping the the in Facebook, right? It's not the Facebook. It's just <laughs> Facebook. It's cleaner that way. And so it would have been cleaner that way. But anyways, in terms of looking forward right now, you look at our friends at DraftKings, the futures odds. Djokovic right now, the favorite to win the event. He's plus 110. After this match, any reason to uh, to disagree with those odds? No, definitely not. I, I came into the tournament thinking, okay, Novak Djokovic, here's the best player in these conditions on this surface in the world. Let's just see how motivated he looks. Let's see if he if he if he seems like he's in shape mentally and physically and we got our answer today. He is. How high would the odds have to be for Diego Schwartzman for you to put $100 on it? How high? <laughs> um now, I didn't check the odds on this one, so I'm at a disadvantage because I don't even know what they were here. But um, to put – I would I would want like plus 750 maybe? To win the event? Oh, to win the event. I, I thought you meant yes, to be Yes, to win the event. Oh. No, excuse me, to win the event. And by the way, the odds ended about plus 560. Okay. Okay, so I think, yeah. yeah. But to okay. win, yeah, so you oh nailed that God. one, and that's a nice sneak He's... preview for Guess the Lines. But yeah, for <laughs> Schwartzman to win this event, $100. And look, I'm not saying it's happening. I'm just saying how ridiculous would the odds have to be for you to do that? Man, uh, they would have to be ridiculous. He's the only player in the field who would really surprise me if he won. Uh, I'd have to make a million dollars in return, like yeah. without question, minimum. Yeah, I mean, I'm pro- you're probably just— 
I don't want to be disrespectful, but yeah, it, there's just no <laughs> comprehensible. You know? Yeah, like that buddy on fire. We love Schwartzman on the pod. Why would you ask me a question like that, just inviting me to disparage him? <laughs> Yeah, of course, the Weissman family would disapprove. Uh, no, I would say this. if Yes, if you're thinking about putting $100 on Diego Schwartzman, instead go to your local hospital and, feel, and feed our first responders. <laughs> Much better use of that $100. But, yeah, just wanted to ask you that question. And, again, 3-2 and two, Novak Djokovic. He advances to 1-0 and oh, Diego Schwartzman, 0-1. Oh Witness history at Roland Garros, where old rivalries meet new talent on the clay battleground. Tennis Channel Plus is your place to watch. Stream every court from your phone or smart TV live in HD. Experience three weeks of unparalleled access as the world's top players in tennis face off to see if the veterans maintain their dominance or if a fresh face rises to challenge them. Daily live coverage begins Monday, May 20th. Stream it now with Tennis Channel Plus to be there when it happens. Of course, our second match of the day, the match we started talking about a little bit at the front, Daniil Medvedev, Alex Zverev, a rematch of the Paris final. I know I have that event correct, Gil. Of course, last year we saw Medvedev defeat Zverev in a Masters event leading up to the year-end final. Zverev then beats Medvedev, but this time Medvedev able to repeat his success. He knocks off Alex Zverev in straight sets in this one. Uh, in the end, it's Daniil Medvedev taking a 6364 victory over Zverev and to be honest this one felt really routine Gil I mean you look in terms of break points sometimes it really is that simple but there was the early break for Zverev to start the match but other than that one no breaking of Daniil Medvedev serve sometimes things are as simple as oh yeah you're playing a six foot six guy indoors right yeah well Medvedev went on a run of nine points in a row on serve where he hit unreturned serves aces and service winners just a string of nine points so his serve became a really big deal especially i would say towards the tail end of the first set because early on this was like a grind fest i mean this was these it took it took what 20 25 minutes for them to get through like six games something ridiculous like that and My then medvedev started yeah your kind of tennis yeah, oh, I love it. Reminds me of Djokovic Murray matchups. Like the way these two just, mm. it's who is going to be daring enough to try and take the space, to try and be the aggressor. Because both of these guys, when you get them to the outer thirds, right, that's when their length, their athleticism starts to shine through. And uh, in this match, I just thought for Daniil Medvedev, I mean, you look at the stats 67% of his first serves go in, he wins 74% of those first serve points, 57% of his second serve points points and again only broken one time in the match that's a really good start Medvedev was that guy I think I thought the whole time if you're going to talk about mm-hmm. who is being the aggressor who's forcing the issue here here now at times it resulted in a plethora of forehand errors at, you know strings <laughs> of them so I can't say that it was always pretty for Medvedev and I think both both players weaknesses were on full display Zverev with the second serves and the double faults and Medvedev just not very efficient on his attacking forehands especially from the middle of the court missing a lot Zverev able to defend a lot of them but ultimately Daniil came up with enough 
um, and especially in big moments. Um, up 4-2, both players were just breaking each other back and forth. And if you look at when Medvedev finally held and broke that pattern to go up 5-2 in the first set, he hit like three forehand winners in the game. So he was the one to go and you know, get after it. I think you nailed it perfectly. Medvedev did enough in this one to survive. I mean, you look at the numbers, 21 winners against 21 unforced errors. Now, breaking even isn't great, but when your opponent's only winning 20, what was it, 21% of his second serve points, when he's thrown in seven double faults, all of which seem to always come on, you know, either love 15 or 15, 30 points to just dig the deficit a little bit further, uh, you just have to break even. And look, Zirov on his first first serve as he continues to look it's so successful I mean he's also six foot six and you're playing indoors and when he's able to pop that first serve play plus one tennis it looks really really good but in this match you know he lost confidence in the second serve there were times when as you mentioned the forehand started spraying I thought Medvedev did a really good job of just keeping the ball low and flat and you could tell Zverev was having difficulty you know his backhand it's so smooth if you hit a ball with heavy topspin into that backhand that's why he matches up so well against lefties just into his strike zone good night he's opening up that backhand down the line he's having a feast but with how low and flat Medvedev hits the ball particularly on an indoor court I thought it 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 you know it caused discomfort for Zverev clearly he was never he could never find his strike zone it felt like in this match and I felt like he was waiting for the ball to come to him I didn't see the mm-hmm. urgency in his footwork and that's where the ball will drop even lower and he just wasn't creating, you know, the offense that, that he needed to. Uh, I think that's a good point, though. Did you hear what Yannick Sinner said about oh, Medvedev's ball I, being? He said I always that, want that to hear Medvedev's from the Sin ball. Man. Yeah. He said that Medvedev's ball give and, and Manorino. He said uh, Medvedev and Manorino <laughs> yeah. are the two players who give him the most trouble right now because I think he can't he can't stand the way that the ball doesn't bounce up for him. Oh, the other take is that uh, Stefan Kozlov is just six foot one. Daniil Medvedev. That's another one of my favorite takes. And also, I'm really upset. This is so petty. I don't know if you know this about me, Gil. I have an ego. Don't let the haircut f- fool you. I have a healthily f- fueled ego. But I tweeted out that Martin Dam reminds me of maybe slightly better Yuri Vesely. And I'm like so certain that comparison is correct. And like just no affirmation thus far on Twitter. It's devastating. Devastating. <laughs> I'm like, come on, guys. You like-, like you got- yeah, I'm just like, can someone please respect a Yuri Vesely comp? Do you know how rare it is to get that sort of opportunity to throw in a Yuri? I've been watching Yuri Vesely for seven years for this moment. Oh, yeah. And it's finally come to fruition and just, anyways, anyways, this is what happens now. You know, I I don't know if pe- people are obviously aware prior to everything that happened, Zverev was my guy. And it's like, well, that's not a thing anymore. So I have to like go watch challenge. I'm going back to my roots. I was like, you would need to go back to the challenge your level you have Orlando back you have Carey back you have Mikeation back in your life just go enjoy some of the young up-and-comers because these current players just keep disappointing you and I was like that that's I justified that to myself that does that does fascinate me about basically Zverev's fans because and you know people who who really really liked him a lot because obviously you know more Less, you know, his fans, even the people close to him would never know about something like this uh, for, for the most part. So it's like, I mean, can I just ask you, like, how how did that how did you process that? 
No, it, it's a very fair question, and someone – I'm not going to say who because it was in the context of something that I can't share, but he was like, hey, can you read this from the perspective of a Zverev fan? And I was just like – I was like, you think after all of this I'm still a Zverev fan? I was like, I'm slightly offended, but I'm going to let that slide because I'm very happy to help you in whatever way that I can, and it it sucks. Like, I mean – even from a tennis perspective, you want to – it was, you know, even or even beyond his off-court action, his arrogance prior to all of this coming out, just from a tennis perspective, I was fascinated by him because – and I've said it repeatedly on this podcast – I think there are 10 minutes in every Alex Zverev match where you watch him play and you're like, this guy could be the best tennis player to ever play. And I'm not saying he's going to end up with all of the records. I'm saying he could rip off a three-, four-year run where he wins eight, nine slams, Federer-esque, something crazy – because of just the physical tools and the things he can do on a tennis court, and if it ever clicked mentally, just look out. But now this clouds all of that. And when you commit a sin of this nature, something so egregious as physical and emotional abuse of a girlfriend from a position of power, particularly in 2020 in a time when we're so educated on why you know our culture needs to move past that era, it's just— it's un- and to listen to women and to hear their side of the story and to understand their perspective, it's just unacceptable. And, like, I understand the concept of, you know, innocent until proven guilty. Obviously, that's what the American justice system is built upon. But you throw in just his lack of coherent response to Sherry Pova's allegations, his lack of willingness to really go on the record to address the details of her story – the lack of the ATP's action and, you know, being transparent about what their investigation is going to look like, it's all just despicable. It's a huge cloud over tennis. You pretty much said it all there, and basically it's it's only getting worse and worse so far. And today it was just the delivery of his red statement, but really ever since the allegations have come out, not not one step that he's made has felt correct so you know it it does it's so it's so difficult and it really has taken away and this is not what's important what's important is that you know Olya gets the support um that you know and and that that she feels you know as best as she can possibly feel through this moment um but it really it really is a stain you said it well yeah, and we are two men of similar backgrounds, so I I want to ask this question though, still from your perspective, because you know, again, it it, it sucks. I, I it's always great to uh, have some sort of female perspective on this. Obviously, we don't have that on this show, and I hope we're not being insensitive by even mentioning Alex Vera. But if we are, let us know because that's something we want to uh, we want to learn from. But my question to you, covering these ATP Tour finals as you are on Monday Match Analysis, which again you can find on YouTube, you can find the podcast version wherever you listen to your podcasts. Everyone should be tuning into Monday Match Analysis. But have you felt? Any, you know, apprehension in terms of, you know, how to cover this? I mean, again, because we're both of similar age as well. And at age 25, do I feel like I have any sort of standing to morally criticize Alex Virov? What have I done in my life to earn the right to be here and criticize him other than as a part, you know, as someone who is observing this and reading the story behind it? But I don't know. Like, I I always, I just feel icky. Like, I I don't even want to bring up his name. And at the same time, I don't want to minimize Sherry Pova's accusations, as you mentioned. It's been hard. 
I uh, I said my piece on Friday. This was before. Very well, I might add. Oh, thank you. I appreciate it. Um, yeah, so, I mean, on Friday, this is even before the Rothenberg piece came out, and I, I talked about what I felt like I was qualified to talk about, uh, and that's, that's all I could do. I know a little bit about, about the law, especially when it comes to, you know, just basics. So I, I offered that and basically how the law does not cover what, how we need to handle these kinds of situations, and it's, it's insufficient and it's not enough. And then I saw something on Twitter that I felt was really illuminating from a from a victim, and I just decided to to put use my platform to elevate that. Then on Monday, after the Paris final, I was in a position where I couldn't watch it live. I would have had to watch it on replay. And I didn't I felt like I had already said my piece on the on the domestic abuse allegations. But yet I didn't really feel like talking about tennis and ignoring it. I, that just didn't feel right to me. So I didn't do a show. So these are the things that I that have been, you know, that I've been faced with um, basically as, you know, in the, the decision making role that I'm in. And I'm I'm my own boss. So that's why I can make that decision. Might have been different if I had an employer and, you know, I if I had to make air, I would have made air. Um, and I would have done the best I could, but being my own boss, I just didn't feel the desire that Monday to, to do a show. So I just didn't. Uh, and I, I hope I answered your question. No, you absolutely did because I felt a similar way when the allegations first came out. I happened to obviously be friends with Ben at this point. I don't even know if that's a name drop. Sometimes I think that gets me in trouble. I swear to God, I get more texts being like, why do you support Ben? That's not true. I don't get that many texts. Let's not get the scale, but I get texts where it's like, why do you support Ben? I'm like, why are you texting me this? I'm like, you're the one with the issue here. Um, But anyways, you know, I knew he was going to be interviewing her. I knew there was going to be reporting on the topic. And so it's just like how you have to let the facts speak for themselves. I agree with you and there's a reason one person has been very transparent and willing to go on the record the other hasn't generally just as an objective observer i will favor the person who's transparent because clearly they don't have anything to hide and i agree i think that's you know at this point we look at him as a prop he is the filler he is the opponent for daniel medvedev and yeah he's an opponent playing tennis but I'm just done covering the perspective of his career, what each win means. I'm just viewing him as a singular match now. It's just like, okay, Alex Zverev was in this match. There's no other importance beyond the fact that he just happened to be in this match. But, of course, we have spent enough time uh, talking about him today. We will continue to watch that story unfold. One last thing I want to do with you before I let you go here on Monday night. We have to play a little game of Guess the Lines because, obviously, I saw you doing your work for the action network during the U.S. Open. I know this is something that is right up your alley, and it's a perfect way for us to preview tomorrow's matches. So with that in mind, Westoff, give me some sort of guess the line sound effect, please. All right, let's get right into it, Gil. Let's start with the matchup I think all of us very excited for. We didn't get it at the French Open. We get it here at these year-end champions. It ships. It's Rafael Nadal looking, of course, for his first title in London, taking on last year's finalist, Dominic Team. I'm going to give you the floor here first, Gil. And if you want to talk me through your thought process as well as you give me your line, please do. But Nadal Team, what do you got? 
Hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited for this one. Nadal, it was difficult to get a read on his form because I really, unfortunately, I don't think Rublev played well enough for us to really see what Nadal is capable of, to be quite honest with you. What we did see is that Rafa is, is serving tremendously. Um, for team, I was very impressed with his opening round win over Tsitsipas. Uh, the way he worked himself into that match, he started very consistent, very disciplined, and then he started taking more risk to great effect uh, in the third set. So this is, uh, I think that this line's going to be close. I think this is a tough one to call. Uh, I just think, you know, especially with Nadal coming off the, the loss in Paris, I don't think that there will just be some kind of default kind of Rafa Nadal name, name recognition, recognition invincibility there. Uh, however, I do think he will be a slight favorite. So I have him at a minus 120 is my guess the line. So here's where, sadly, my friend, you are slightly off. There is always a Rafael Nadal, a Roger Federer, a Novak Djokovic, a Serena Williams bump. Always, always, always. Whatever you write down, you got to add, you know, minus 025 to it because mm -hmm. just his name in the draw, it transcends everything else. And people are willing to bet on Rafa to throw him in parlays. If you see Rafa at anything above minus 200, more often than not, if he's not playing a Djokovic or a Federer, you're throwing him into your parlay, if, even if it's, you know— I want to bet the Giants money line against the Eagles, and I'm going to throw Rafa in that parlay as well just to get a little extra value. Why wouldn't you? Um, so I had that in mind. I also had in mind the fact that, look, to the naked eye, right, Rafa, 9-5 and five career head-to-head -head against Dominic Team. You look at their record on hard courts. Yes, Dominic Team beat him in this year's Australian Open quarterfinals, but overall, I think they're just 1-1 one one on the surface, and so, of course, given the lack of sample size, I don't think they've ever even played indoors. Uh, and then the fact that Nadal just won a straight-set match over someone in form as Andre Rublev, and I know to the eye test, we all saw that wasn't an in-form Andre Andre Rublev, but to the math, to the formula makers, uh, that means Rafael Nadal comes in this one off of a straight set victory. Uh, Dominic Team obviously physically tested against Tsitsipas. I had Nadal minus 175, Dominic Team plus 135, and I swear, I don't cheat on these. I promise you. In the end, Rafael Nadal minus, 180, minus 182, Dominic Team plus 150. So I think I box you out on this one. Yep. I will say this. I think when the match gets closer to starting, the money lines will be closer to your spread than my spread, if that makes sense, because I agree with you. I don't think there's any reason Rafael Nadal should be a prohibitive favorite in this one. I think it's pretty much a pick em, right? I I think it's pretty close to that. I do, I do think that one thing that could help Nadal is if he's going to serve as well as he did against Rublev, the shot that has really not progressed um, like you might hope for team is the return. Um, so perhaps Nadal gets a little bit of an edge there. But yeah, I mean, I, as it is right now, I mean, I think there's big value on team. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I would say the bet for me more than anything is the over two and a half sets. I think this is a match that could very much go the distance. And I also think just fundamentally something to keep in mind. I mean, it's still a lefty indoors against a one-handed backhand. And certainly Dominic Team's got a one-handed backhand that stands up against pressure. And, you know, he's, I think, 62 and 30 in his career against lefties. But... 
At the same time, there are inherent, you know, every so often you're going to throw a slice out wide that's just going to get him stretched, and then Rafa has a plus one forehand, and we've all seen that pattern unfold time after time after time, and the question is, does Dominic Team have the legs to track down that first plus one forehand? Can he, from that position, flip the script? Because we have seen this match before, right? I think we all know how it's going to go. That Dominic Team backhand return, how it holds up, probably the most important detail in this match. Yep, I think it it pretty much always is, although Nadal also needs to mix it up, which he's been doing a much better job of. Um, I think that Nadal's return was not good in Paris, and that's something to watch because I really like the way Dominic Team hit his spots against Tsitsipas and really got a lot from from his first serve. Uh, so there's going to be a lot of power tennis. Ultimately, it's going to be hard for either player to get back in points once they're on the wrong side of things. Once the other once the other one is ripping forehands, ooh, that's not that's not gonna be good on this surface. So that's why it's very important. Uh, whoever serves better in this match, serves and returns better, is gonna have a good shot because how you start that rally is gonna be so important. My number of the match coming from our friends at Tennis Abstract, and I don't know if they're my friends. I just consider them a friend because of how <laughs> generous it is as a resource. But uh, in all five of Dominic Team's wins over Rafael Nadal, he won over forty-seven percent of his second serve return points. Now that's a little thing. Forty-seven percent might not have to be the number. And yeah, if you're winning second serve return points, that seems obvious. You're probably going to win the match. But he has to do it. That is something that's going to be critical. He has to, you know, maybe. Take a step or two forward on that second serve, not be camped six feet behind the baseline, be aggressive, take control of points. Should be a really fun match. I'm going to ask you the toughest question in this business. Give me a prediction. Hmm. Uh, I am going to go Dominic team in a close three sets. I love that pick. I want to pick it as well. I feel like for the sake of the listeners, I should go Nadal just because obviously you're my arch rival. In terms of the eyebrow power rankings, by the way, it's me and Sampras tied for first. You're a close third, really close third. Like <laughs> we had the committee met and we decided we we'll see how 2020 ends. There's a very good chance you end 20 or you start 2021 also tied for first, and then you know Noah Eagle just a dead last in fourth, just oh, dead. Oh yeah, dead you know last. that's really what I you see. Look, as much as we as much as we're rivals, I mean, we can both agree on one thing: is that we both have better eyebrows than Noah Eagle. That's what we know. <laughs> oh no, he just looks so tailored on that tennis live set. I'm like, God, what an impressive young man. Yes. Um, anyways, yes, uh, but all right. With that in mind, let's move on. I agree with you, team in three, but I think it's going to be really, really close. Um, all right. With that in mind, let's move on to our next match: Tsitsipas taking on Rublev for what feels like. I don't know, the 5th, 6th, 7th, maybe 12th time since the tour restarted in August. Now, of course, this is going to be their first matchup on a hard court since Rublev knocked off Tsitsipas in a four-set U.S. Open. I believe it was what the, was that the quarterfinal? Sem? I don't even remember at this point. That was this year's U.S. Open? No, that was last year's U.S. Open. Excuse me. First round of last year's yes. U.S. Open was when Rublev knocked him off in first four round. sets. That's the last time uh, they played at on a hard court, of course, in the matches they have played here in 2020. It's Rublev, I believe, with a 2-1? Two, 1-1? Uh, two one? One no, it's 1-1 one, one split? 3-1. I don't one. even know. All these 3-1. Thank you. Again, oh, there's been a lot one of, of them, tennis. One of them's folks. a challenger. 
Yeah. So, you know, grain of salt. The point being, there are no secrets between these two. They know exactly what to expect from one another. Of course, both coming off of losses in their first matches. Rublev, a straight set loss to Nadal. Tsitsipas, 3-2 team. Let's play guess the lines. I will go first here on this one. I had Tsitsipas as a slight favorite, and it is ever so slight. And I didn't feel good about that pick either. I was thinking. And the truth is, Andre Rublev's been better on an indoor hard court this season. But then I factored in Tsitsipas won this event last year. Technically, he's the higher seeded of the two player. He clearly looked better according to the eye test in the first round matches. So I went Tsitsipas minus 125, Rublev minus 105. I don't think there's going to be an underdog in this match. What do you think about my reasoning? Give me your reasoning in line as well. I pretty much agree with you. I'm going to tack on two factors here in favor of Tsitsipas. Uh, First of all, I think that straight set victory at Roland Garros will factor in for people because it it really was that kind of match where it's like, oh, Stefano solved the puzzle here. You know, it was not just a win. It was a very much like Rublev can't really do anything on the court right now because Tsitsipas (laughs) figured him out. So there's that. The second thing is I think that there is some Andre Rublev skepticism in the world, and I don't agree with it. But the hottest take skepticism. Thank you. I agree. I agree. That's why I sent the text tonight because I was like, I think this might come up. <laughs> I think it's ridiculous. You get this one-dimensional comment, and I have the same response every time. Give me that dimension. I want that <laughs> dimension so bad. Whatever that one dimension is, I would like it. Seven days of the week give me that dimension. Not to get grim, but if they were like, Alex, two years off the end of your life, but you get to hit forehands like him for the rest of it, I'm like, done, 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 done. Like, do you want to know why he goes after the forehand on every point? Because do you know how much fun it would be if you could hit a forehand like that? And I think the most impressive thing has been the added dimensions, the fact that he's much more comfortable moving forward now. The first volley looks better. The fact that he's starting to realize, oh, if I hit a kick serve on the ad side, I'm going to get a forehand. And if I get a plus one forehand, hand, I win the point. And it's just these little adjustments that have made his game that much more effective. Now, to what I said a little bit earlier, I still don't think he's a top-tier athlete. I think he's a, he is going to maximize his movement. He is going to become as good of a mover as is capable of his body. And I think he has top-tier power. But I think Rafa did a really good job exposing Rublev's la- uh, you know, lack of elite lateral movement, changing direction on him. That's my biggest concern for him, the lack of elite lateral movement, not the fact that he's one-dimensional because, yeah, give me that dimension. <laughs> That's fair. Uh, the, it's fair on the movement. That's why he just needs to be an aggressive player, but he has the racket talent <laughs> to do that, to both return aggressively, his first serve much improved, hitting his spots now. His his plus one forehand, you, you mentioned, it's it's just one of the best in the game, and that'll take you so far. Uh, I, I would like to see him improve that transition game. He, he can get a lot better. Uh, with the volleys and his touch can get better. Now, as for the guess the line, um, the given the way that their last meeting went at the French and the ridiculous Rublev skepticism um, and the way he looked against Nadal, I think Tsitsipas is favored minus 140. And what do you have Rublev at? What's the what's the math there? I'm not I'm not great at that. It's, it doesn't a, have to be exact. Oh, well, it's okay. about plus one. Honestly, you know what? 
we're going to give you the victory because you said minus 140. Pass minus 139 right now. So, hey, great oh, job to you. You oh, nailed that one. You boxed me out. Rublev <laughs> plus 116. Bravo. Bravo. Well done. By the way, as we're talking, Nadal down to minus 177. So, literally, I'm <laughs> telling you, that thing is going to fall, fall, fall all night long. Um, yeah, look, I— Here's the thing. Indoor hardcourt, like, yeah, Tsitsipas is better on an indoor hardcourt than he is on clay, but so is Andre Rublev. I don't agree with and that. it's like, oh, okay. I, I'll Go. take him on clay. And I know he's won three titles, I believe, on indoor hardcourt. Um, yeah. So the, the results are, I would say, probably ambiguous. If we looked at it, we'd both have an argument. Uh, but yeah. I think against the elite competition, especially— when he gets that extra time where his return is no longer a big problem and he's putting them in play, I really like that for Tsitsipas. And also, his uh, RPMs on his forehand, not to be, mm-hmm. un, you know, that, that should not Trifle go underlooked. Quit. Yeah, no. So I would like to amend my statement. You are correct. Comparatively, Tsitsipas is better on a clay court than other pro players are on a clay court. However, I also think his game is better on an indoor hard court than it is on a clay court, if that makes sense. So compared to the diminishing returns for other players when they switch surfaces, I think Tsitsipas is less effective. I think his game remains as effective because, as you mentioned, his forehand can hit through any court and he gets more time on that backhand side. Plus, he's a very good mover. Um, But I think he is still better on an Andre, on an indoor court. I just on think Andre Rublev. Yeah, uh, on a Rublev court. Uh, that's what I was going to say, on an indoor Andre. That's mixing points here. Hey, great shot. Um, yeah, it, but I think indoor Andre is that much better on an indoor hard court. Yeah, I think that— That's math, by the way. That was just so everyone <laughs> that everyone listened that. That was a formula I just played out. Right. That's why we went to school. Um <laughs> Yeah, I I I think that Rublev can really suffocate Stefanos in this matchup. Um just because it's so much it's totally different than Roland Garros because the pace that Rublev can bring to the court. He takes the ball so early and hits so big. If you're a player who who likes time, you're not going to get any. And I have a mm-hmm. feeling Tsitsipas is going to be pretty bothered by that and uh, affected. And I think if Rublev hits his spots, uh, Pass is probably the worst returner in this field of eight. Um, and I think that, that Rublev can just sneak out enough breaks to, to get this done. I don't see Pass having any fun on return against Rublev. Yeah, I think that's a really good take. And so with that in mind, it sounds like you're leaning Andre Rublev. Yeah, I am. The double dog day. Double See, this dog. is why you follow Gil Gross, folks, because <laughs> if you are a fan, you should take the double dogs. In fact, I'm going to put that in right now. Dominic Team, Andre Rublev, if you parlay both of them, and it's always risky to parlay two underdogs, plus 429. I'm going to have to talk to my accountant, Daniel Westhoff. We might have to. We might have to. We'll see. We'll, we'll look into it. We're going to run the numbers one more time. Um, but, ooh, ooh, I don't know, man. Here's the thing. Tsitsipas is in terms of attitude the guy who bounces back as well from a loss as anyone is there anyone who probably after losing that match was like I would like to get back on court preferably in an hour you know just get let me go eat something and maybe get a stretch in but I'm ready to go play another three out of five or two out of three set match I feel like that I mean Andre Rublev by the way the same deal he probably did was like hey we're gonna go train another two out of three set match because that performance was unacceptable um (laughs) 
Three sets. That's the theme of the day. Like, I think today's the day we get our three-set battles because now there's a little more urgency, right? Yes. I And I think especially... I think especially Tsitsipas Rublev, obviously coming off the loss, but, uh, you know, they they really have a lot to prove. And I also think we could see nerves come into play uh, with, with both of them in the tight moments because this match is going to mean so much to both of them. Uh, so I, I just like these matchups. You know, it's not even about—maybe it's not even about being desperate. It's just about two good matchups because you know— you know that Nadal and team are going to slug it out, and and the same can be said for Tsitsipas Rublev. I'm excited. Yeah, should be a really fun day of tennis, and of course we will be back tomorrow to break down all of the action, but I have kept you far longer than I promised, so we can wrap up today's show. Uh, he, on this note, of course, again, I highly recommend to everyone, go check out Monday Match Analysis. Go check out everything you're doing, Gil. But for those who want to hear a little bit more, give us a little sneak peek of what you have in store. In the in the coming days, and it, all of the above. Just all I want to hear above. your life plan. What's coming? You proposing? My life plan. Is there something I need? To, do I need to get ready for something? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, let's see. Tomorrow, I'm probably gonna make a bacon, egg, and cheese. No, um, <laughs> I'm uh, I'm doing a lot of ATP Finals match recaps. All right, I'm they're gonna I'm gonna keep them coming. So uh, you can subscribe to me on on YouTube. Um, it's just Gil Gross, my name, Gil with two L's, uh, for continued coverage throughout this tournament. Uh, and then uh, then it's off season, Grusky. Mm-hmm. Next uh, episode the of the Big stuff. Three. Yeah. Oh, no, oh, next oh, episode the of the Big Three. Yes. Yeah. Um, with uh, the outstanding tennis journalists Joel Drucker and Amy Lundy, I do a YouTube show and podcast about the Big Three called Three. Um, Three a tennis show is the full name if you want to Google search it. You know, you're that's very I'm very I mean, look at that. I forget to plug it and you remember. <laughs> well, here's the thing, because as we know, I both I hold a lifelong grudge against you because again, there can only be one with eyebrows these nice. Um but the the grudge I also hold, I you might have to redo the Andy Murray episode because A, it was so phenomenal it should be run again. But B, can I just get like a five minute? You know how oh, what's it called? Oh my cameo? god, this shows you the last time I read a freaking book. Uh, a cameo would be great as well. But what's it called on the inside of the book? The foreword. The foreword. Excuse me. Yes. Uh, I get. I would just like a three minute monologue foreword <laughs> on Andy Murray, and then you rerun the show. <laughs> I can just put it in premiere. You, you just send it my way, and, and we can make it happen. All right. I'll get a haircut for it as well, so we can do it on That's video. a good idea. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, perfect. No, with that in mind, well, again, Monday Match Analysis, the three, all of the above. You can find it at – it's at Gil underscore gross. That's the Twitter. Yeah, at Twitter you can find it yes. and find all of the uh, all of the coverage, of course, at Monday Match Analysis on YouTube, of course, here at Cracked Rackets. We're going to keep rocking and rolling. Mini breaks all week long. GSP aces of the day. Cracked interviews coming up this week in terms of college contenders. Hopefully Michigan will give us the green light to run that Steinberg interview. And then we will have University of Florida coach Brian Shelton. So be on the lookout for all of that. And, of course, you can find it all on our website, CrackedRackets.com. Shout out, as always, to our super producers, Max Flickner and Daniel Westoff for the f- of an ending job they 
do day in, day out, making all of this content possible. Of course, shout out to our friends at Midwest Sports and Aerobar as well. Go to MidwestSports.com. Use that promo code CR15. Go to Aerobar.com. Use the promo code CRACKED15GILL. I need you to remember the phrase, that's the break, because as always, for my wonderful co-host, Gil Gross, our super producers, Max Fliegner and Daniel Westoff, our friends at Midwest Sports and Aerobar, and all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruss. Gil, what do we tell our listeners? That's the break. There it is. I love it. And we will see you all tomorrow. Thank you, Gil. Always a pleasure, my friend. Thanks, Grosky. This was great.